There was literally days where I would drive 200, 300 miles, and I would literally drive, knock on the doors, they wouldn't pick up. I would drive the next one, knock on the door, they wouldn't pick up. And there would be months where I would make no money. What's up, y'all? This is the Founder Hour. I'm your co-host, Pat. And for episode 41, we hung out with Mark Brazil, co-founder of Iconic. Iconic sells super modern, affordable, culture-inspired canvas art that's solely designed and distributed by Mark and his co-founder, Jeff Cole. In under two years, they've sold tens of thousands of pieces, generated millions of dollars in revenue, and secured partnerships with Gary Vaynerchuk and Scooter Braun. And they're just getting started. Throughout the episode, we talk about Mark's upbringing in Long Island, New York, what brought him to Los Angeles, how a couple sales jobs early in his career helped shape who he is today, and what sparked the idea for Iconic. We also chat about things like what makes a successful entrepreneur, what it's like working with social media influencers, and the future of e-commerce and how to play the game while scaling a company in the space. We also have a special promo code for our listeners. Head on over to Iconic.com, that's I-K-O-N-I-C-K.com, and use the code TFH20 for 20% off your order. We kicked off the conversation by hearing about how Mark and Jeff met. So I met Jeff um, through a girl about eight, nine years ago at NYU, and just sporadically, she said, you need to meet one of my college buddies. His name is Jeff Cole. He's super talented. And next day, I called him, and we started working. And for three years, I independently contracted Jeff. He did my design work. And it, three years, we were just talking on Gmail. And then eventually, we met. And for about three or four companies, me and Jeff worked together. And I immediately saw you know, the work ethic was second to none, super talented from a design perspective, great ideas, uh, very different skill set than I had. And just always work together. And I really think that I was never the leader of the companies. I was always the number two or the number three. And never really in a good spot. I didn't think he was in a really good spot either. Yeah. So oh, I guess um, what were you working on at the time? All different things, man. Yeah. Um, specifically with Jeff, uh, I had a comic book t-shirt company where we sponsored MMA fighters. That was okay. uh, in my, cool. early, my early 20s. And then... The sales guys for that company uh, came to me with a concept to create a, uh, a new headwear company where it would be high-end headwear. It's called Melon. Mm-hmm. And that company is in Lids and Bloomingdale's and Zoomies and Nordstrom's. Uh, I was the marketing guy for that. That's kind of where I learned about retail, brands. Really where I learned about business was probably there. And from there, I, uh, I worked on an MBA uh, blanket company, betting company with some MBA guys. Mm. And it was in 2016 we were, where we were working on that. We are actually working right here in this office for that company. Yeah. We were working um, on Iconic on the side. So we were drop shipping art, making a couple thousand dollars here and there in 2016, thinking yeah. nothing of it. Yeah. And then Black Friday, we made, you know, I think it was fifteen or $20,000. We're like, okay, this, this can maybe be something. And then February 27th of 2017, we moved from Squarespace to Shopify, and we started doing ads. And month one, did six figures, and then that's just that's just where it started. Yeah. And we did the first two million dollars. It was part time, and it was me, Jeff, a digital guy, and then we paid his sixteen year old brother uh, a quarter and some sneakers to process. It's the brothers, man, they always uh, they always got to be involved. Yeah, it's, it's it, there was more Cole family members in the company than there was anybody else, so it, it was funny. Love it. Mark, before we get into Iconic and everything you guys are doing with Iconic, tell us a little bit about where you grew up. Where I grew up. So I grew up in a town called East Meadow. It's in Long Island. And my father uh, was a Wall Street guy. He's Brazilian. He's from Brazil. Uh, I have a nice Jewish mother, speech pathologist. Great, great upbringing. Uh, My sister is a year older. Big soccer player growing up. And... I lived in a neighborhood that was on the border of a very wealthy neighborhood and then, uh, I, lack of better word, I'd say kind of poor neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I kind of dealt with all different types of people growing up, which I think was, was huge for my social skills. And I actually wasn't really a business type guy. I was 
all in on soccer. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until college where I really, you know, discovered, you know, my obsession for just hustling and solving Were you problems. good enough to go pro? Like, was it one of those situations? Uh, I, I don't think I'll ever really know that. Um, yeah, probably not, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I was recruited heavily to play in college and I went to, to college to play soccer, but I actually ended up learning that I'd much rather do business and do a mm-hmm. fraternity and learn about more like social type stuff. Were you ever impacted by the fact that your dad was this Wall Street guy and that, you know, you would maybe one day, you know, want to go down that path? Yeah. So my dad took the 611 train for over 30 years. Wow. So he was just, I mean, at, at that time, you got to wake up at like 5.15. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he did. I was a finance major, actually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ironically enough, you know, my dad is 5'7". He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't curse. He doesn't have hot. He doesn't know about pop culture. And here I am. I'm like almost 6'2". It's tough to be on Wall Street and not do all those things, right? Yeah. Um, I was just like, I'm just a completely different type of guy that yeah. he is. So um, luckily for me, he was super supportive of me. And when I decided I want to move from finance to entrepreneurship and marketing in college. He was super supportive. Um, but yeah, there was always in the back of my head, like, hey, I can take this route. And, you know, people that take that route, you know, in New York, you make you know, six figures pretty, pretty early in the game. Yeah. Um, but luckily for me, you know, you know, certain things happened in my life that I had enough confidence in myself that... What were those know, certain things? Uh, soccer played a huge part in it. Um, I was always a decorated club soccer player, but during... My high school years, you know, there was a, an inflection point where they named the best players in the county, and I was not named on mm-hmm. that list. And I'll forever remember that day. Something just flipped in my mind, and I went absolutely ape shit just training. And then I made all county the team went as far as we can go. And that's when I learned that I can really do anything that I wanted. So it was that. And then in college, you know, I just always found a way to make money off like the little stupidest things. I would just find little problems and then solutions. Like and at, at your college or just in general? At my college. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think the probably the most unique one was I went to college. I had an ID and my, a fake ID. Yeah. And <laughs> my, my roommate was, uh, I went to University of Delaware. He was a football player and he had this big truck. And we had orientation and they, you know, it's these, you know, you're a freshman and they're like, hey, you know, don't do this, don't do that. You can get in trouble. You know, three strikes, you're kicked out of school. And me growing up where I grew up, like I told you guys, I had been through some stuff. So mm-hmm. I go to school and no one wants to get alcohol. So I go to the girls next door and they're like, hey, can you get us alcohol? And I had the ID. So I went to the store, they gave me $40 and I went to the store and I discovered this new phenomenon. It was called Milwaukee Beast Light. Mm. and Natty Light, and Natty Ice, and all these beers that were $6, $8. Sounds disgusting. <laughs> yeah, looking back, disgusting. There's definitely a difference. I was used yeah. to like Bud Light. Sounds like elevated water. <laughs> when you, It is. It really, that's really what it is. Yeah. That's how you can like funnel all of those beers. <laughs> yeah. um, and I bought those. I went back to give them change, and they said, no, keep it. And then something flicked in my head. Hey, there's $31 in profit. Yeah. And then... It was them, and then it was next door, and then it was the whole floor, and then it was the second floor, and then it was me calling my mom, hey, can you send me more duffel bags, two duffel bags, six duffel bags, ten duffel bags, and then I'm cutting deals with the liquor store. They're giving me inflatable pools. They're giving me Bud Light sweatshirts. So you're and basically the man like, in the fraternities. Like you yes, it was. It was, <laughs> it was the plug. <laughs> for me, it was, you know, I went there, and I didn't, I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Instead of promoting parties, he's like promoting alcohol. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I was like a, a, a liquor a liquor dealer. Yeah, um, and then I actually did go into into party promoting. God, and yeah. I'm sure that was a good story with your future investor. Yeah, it's yeah. ironically enough, you know, with Gary involved, yeah. you know, he was a liquor peddler with our oh, library. Perfect. So just like a great marriage between the two. It was that, yeah, and that, then I think you're also talking about scooter. And then scooter, yeah. and then right. scooter right. was a, was a yeah. party promoter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was talking about. So it was it was it's it's ironic that those were the yeah. two things. But or it's or it's iconic. Yeah. <laughs> where did the where did the entrepreneur? You were like a finance major, but where did that like entrepreneurial bug come from? To just kind of like was it just it happened, or did you seek out like opportunities? I really think um, it, it's a question. It's like the question everybody asks, you know, are you born an entrepreneur or you or you made? Yeah. And I had never had a real job. I, I sold Cutco knives door to door. That was that was the only thing I had done. 
Um, I think it was just, you know, some people when they got that $31 and change from those girls that night, they would have thought nothing of it. Yeah. But something just flicked in my head. So I think it's just, if you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. I think entrepreneurs know other entrepreneurs and you can't fake being an entrepreneur. It's just mm. something in your blood. It, it's yeah. just finding a way to make shit happen. So um, I, I think, think I was just born I think born it sort of comes from like being open-minded. Like it's like not having a one-track mind of like, you know, just because I'm in this job doesn't necessarily mean just because I'm like supposed to go down this career path. Yeah. You know, that this is like all there is to it, like not, not kind of seeing what's around you. Right. I definitely think that being open-minded is one of the biggest things. Yeah. I mean, I literally ate shit and made, you know, no money till late 20s. I made more money dealing liquor and doing parties in college than I made when I was 28 years old. Yeah. It's usually like that, but those things aren't scalable. Or yeah. maybe they are, but like sometimes, most of the time they're not. Unfortunately, I got popped by the resident advisor and oh, got a bunch of strikes and had to stop the ring. But it was, it was good. <laughs> while did last you graduate time. at least? I did okay. two, with a 2.1 GPA, five years. Yeah, nice. You made it. Yeah. So you were at NYU? No, I was at University of Delaware. Oh, okay. Got it. My sister went to NYU actually. Got you. Yep. Got you. So um, you come out of college uh, and you just start your next venture? Or was it, the, was it the comic company? or? So I came out of college, and there was a little, a little weird two-year period. Yeah. And this two-year period was probably, looking back, it probably was the most important two years of my life because that's where I went through the most amount of shit. So I graduated school. Um, at that point, uh, I had a little bit of money, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. My best friend, Will Dean, at the time, was working for an energy-efficient lighting company in California. And keep in mind at this point, I'm from New York. I had never been to California. You guys are from here, so I don't know if you guys know, but yeah. California is a pretty cool place. The people it is, that, yeah. I feel like from. people in Cali want to get out, and then people who are out of Cali want to come here. Correct. But yeah. And this was when the, uh, the green eco-friendly boom was coming. That's when it was happening. What year is this around? This was 2010. 10, okay. 2011. Like solar pa- panels. Yeah, and solar panels, all that Popping crap. up everywhere. Lead so he's certified. Like, Exactly. So yeah. that's, that's where I'm going right oh, now okay, with lead certification. Okay. So he's like, our company needs someone that's lead certified. So keep in mind, I did terrible in school. I didn't do tests, sucked at it. So he's like, you need I to sound pass like an this. entrepreneur. Yeah. You need, you need to pass this test. So again, I want to challenge myself. So I studied for this test, uh, take two months studying. Uh, I take it. I fail. I study again for two months. I take it. I fail. Study again for two months. Keep in mind, you can only take it every two months. That's why. And I finally pass. Call Will, say, I passed. I'm coming out. A week later, I go out. I sign a lease. I'm working there for, I kid you not, one week. And I get clipped right away. They fired you. They fired me. Why? They didn't need me. Really nice. That was really nice of them. They could have told me that fucking six months ago. Um, (laughs) Spent all that time. So I'm left, and keep in mind, I had made no money for six months. So I had kind of burned through my little nest egg. I went all in. I'm buying furniture, you know, doing everything. So I have nothing. So now I'm lead certified, which with my background, I'm sure you guys can imagine I wasn't really passionate about that. I end up working for a home remodeling company that I found on Craigslist. And... It was zero salary, all commission, and they would give you leads, and you would have to knock on people's doors and sell them $40,000 of energy-efficient you know, lighting, windows, coating. And I was going to Compton. I was going to Beverly Hills. I was going to the Inland Empire, and I had to wear a suit. Keep in mind, I'd never done the suit thing. So With there the LA was, heat? With that LA heat? Yeah. It was the worst. <laughs> and there was literally days where I would drive 200, 300 miles and I would literally drive, knock on the doors, they wouldn't pick up. I would drive to the next one, knock on the door, they wouldn't pick up. And there would be months where I'd make no money. But then So I how would, were you surviving? Because there was, it was very up and down. So it was like, you know, you know, in one week I'd Feast close. Feast or famine type thing. What'd you say? Feast or famine type thing. Exactly. And, and you know, you were 1099, so it was just a very, yeah. it was a very risky life, uh, to say the least. And I didn't really think there was anything going there, so mm-hmm. I did that for a year. But what that taught me is the skill that I think is the most valuable life slash entrepreneur skill, which is how to sell. Yeah. I think being able to sell yourself, sell your brand is, you need to do that. That's how you, just, you gotta do, you gotta go through it. There's no like, there's no education or lesson that can teach you besides just raw experience. And imagine taking 300 meetings where you're knocking on strangers doors and having to understand where they came from, what they do for work, yeah. what type yeah. of money they have, yeah. all this stuff. 
Were you, you physically going on people's doors? Or were physically you like knocking on the door. All right, so that, that's a different beast. Like you know, people yes. think sales is just sitting behind the phone, but you, you have, you've never experienced sales until you're like face to face with someone and you have to sell them. Otherwise, you, have, you make no money. But you have to think. You know, I'm 22 at that point, yeah. and to be able to knock on a door, and sometimes these appointments would take seven hours, eight hours. I would stay for dinner, dessert, and then I'd, they'd sign the deal. But if you can knock on somebody's door and convince them to spend $45,000 to make their, their home energy efficient. Yeah. You should be a CEO of any company you want. Like good. You're good. Take your pick. Take your pick. You're good. So I look back at that and it was, it was painful, but it it taught me to be persistent and it learned, you know, it it taught me how to deal with, again, all different races. I dealt with grandmas. I dealt with, with 20 year olds. I dealt with all different types of people. Yeah. So you, this, you did this for two years? I did this for a year. So I did this. Yeah, it was a full year I did it. And you're, I mean, are you doing anything besides working at this point? No, this, it, was, it was just that. And that's when I was a little bit more like wild. I was having fun. I was going out. It literally was just, you know, the work was, you know, means to the end. And yeah. like I said, you, you know, it was up and down. So sometimes I'd come into money. And I'd have some fun. I'd have no money. So I was definitely... Saving wasn't like really a concept for you. Saving was not a concept for a long time for me, yeah. to, to be frank with you guys. So were you, were you doing well? Like why, what caused you to go on to your next thing? Ambitious, my family. Um, you I felt got, like you were like being I had great back. success in college. You know, I had multiple yeah. businesses. This yeah. was just something that I wanted to come to California. And I thought I had a great opportunity. It kind of snowballed into it. So, so yeah. So I was like, man, I need to, I need to get out of here. So I had to leave. I like to ask this question, you know, to a lot of the folks that we sit down with an interview, and it's not the Guy Ross question about, you know, is it skill or is it luck? Uh, but we could ask that after too. Um, but what is your definition of success? And I know that you guys have that canvas art that has the yep. glacier with, you know, the success on top and yeah. on the bottom. It has all the, I think it's actually there, hard work, persistence, late hey. nights. Um, but what is, well, let me break it down. What was your definition of success when you first came to Los Angeles and what is your definition of success now? I think back then I was only driven by money. Um, and I thought that that was kind of the beginning of me to make more money. Um, I really don't think I discovered, I didn't know who I was yet as a human then. So I was just so confused. I just always wanted to be, you know, a millionaire. It, It was very different for me then. And I would say probably, it wasn't until probably late 20s for me where I really discovered who I was as a human. And for me, success is very clear to me now. And it is doing what you want with who you want when you want. Right. And I became successful in my mind the day I took on this company full time. Mm-hmm. I had done other jobs, been part of other companies, but I ultimately was sitting in the room with people that didn't really want to sit in the room with those people. Right now, I sit next to Jeff Cole, my business partner. I love him like a brother. I sit next to Austin Cox. He's my video guy. I love him like a brother. No one will step foot in this office unless they've earned their stripes, gained my trust, and I love them and deeply care about them. So for me, I'm at a point now in my life where it's so weird because I I think I've achieved success internally, but now there's, I guess, some Mm -hmm. external type stuff where... You know, I know that, you know, I want to help other people in my organization gain success because they have other definitions for success. Right. So life and, is different for me right. and, now. And I love that. And I just want to go a little deeper because you said something that I think will resonate uh, with a lot of people that are you know, probably going to listen. And that's the fact that you hadn't discovered yourself yet. And I was yes. actually having this conversation with, um, with someone yesterday about the fact that she hasn't re- really discovered herself yet. You know, she's kind of going through the process doing her thing, but, you know, and she said, I don't think I know who I am yet as a person. Like, I haven't discovered, like, what I value in life. I know you said that you discovered that in your late 20s, but what led to that discovery and how did you discover it? I think, I think me um, being ambitious and persistent and always being a hustler led me to never be satisfied with what I was doing because Iconic was a side hustle. The fact that I was doing something and I was working, you know, 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then, you know, 5, 6 p.m. till night, it allowed me to, to find my love, thus finding who I was. So um, I think it's, it's really, it's, it's tough to really say, but 
I think it really comes down to just finding something that you love. Uh, until you find something that you love, I just think that you're going to be confused. Like the conversation that we mm-hmm. had before. Yeah. I don't, don't want to put you guys on a, on a spot here, but no, yeah. you guys love this. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's just, it's a different, it's a different mindset when you're doing this versus you're doing anything yeah, else. Totally see that just dis- distinct. Yeah. Difference. So I, I really think it's just finding something that you right. love. And then all of a sudden just your mindset changes. You just about, know it. You just know it. Yeah. And quite frankly, with, Everything else I was doing in my twenties, I never, I never was like, "Oh, this is the one for me." Right. Yeah. But then, and, right away with this, I knew right away this was the one. Yeah. And do you think it's like more of a mindset thing, or more of an experience thing, or a combination of both? Like, because I, we talk about this all the time too. Is like, you know, the things that you're exposed to and the situations that you put yourself in. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you you're, you see what it's like and you feel it, as opposed to like you know, maybe I should do this. Maybe it's just all in your mind. So like how much of it is a mindset and how much of it is like through experience? I think it's, it's a mindset thing and it's who you surround yourself with. Um, who you surround yourself with, you know, they always say you're an average of the five people right. that you're around. I think that is, is so true. Yeah, my parents always used to tell me, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who I am. It's like, I think that's translated in like every language. It really is. Ever. Like, yeah. like, think about it. Like, you yeah, know, for, yeah, it makes complete sense. Like, case in point, like I was just home and I saw like some of my old buddies that like I used to drink with in college. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really drink. Yeah. And I went out with them and I was drinking. Yeah. It's, it, it was really that simple. And, and the mindset thing, I think everything, you know, going back to sales, how sales is the most important thing, I mm-hmm. think you also need to be selling yourself in your head to be as strong as possible. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I internally make goals on stuff that I want to do. And I'm, I'm just internally battling myself and just trying to become a better, a right. better me every single day. So it's, that's actually one of our best sellers is, mm-hmm. is mindset is everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that, you know, kind of going off of this discussion, I think as entrepreneurs or as, you know, people, and I, I was actually telling somebody today, like, I hate the word entrepreneur for the most part because everyone nowadays thinks they're an entrepreneur, but they don't really do anything. They're just like entrepreneurs. Um, So, but regardless, you know, those, the entrepreneurs that are actually doing things like, you know, we're never satisfied. You know, we always want to kind of take it to the next level. But I also think that, you know, in this day of content and social media, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. There's this thing about externally validating the work that we're doing mm-hmm. and i think until you kind of are mature and realize that that stuff is just noise you know like everybody breaks out at a different time like you could be yeah. 35 you could be 45 you could be 55 you know yeah. it really makes no difference i know i know gary v says this all the time about the fact that he didn't do much or he was building kind of in his 20s and then 30s 40s is really when mm-hmm. his rise happened but you know as guys in our 20s now me and pat you know we are like always oh my oh my god when are we gonna be successful when's that gonna happen I think the key is just like being patient. So for you, how did that, like, did you ever kind of have that like impatient time in your life? And how did that change? I think what you said was, was brilliant. The the patient thing is everything. Um, I think it comes down to, to, to patience. And then the two other main things are consistency and learning. The reason why I was never impatient at every single one of the companies I can, I worked for. If you asked the people I worked with, I was always reading books I was always watching like podcasts like your guys. Mm-hmm. I watch all of Gary's stuff. I watch all this. There's this guy um, on YouTube, uh, Evan Carmichael. It's like the top 10 rules of success. I've watched every single one of those. Yeah. So I'm just, I knew that there was going to be a, a tipping point. Right. Like these guys, you know, when I watch guys like Gary and he preached patience, I agree with everything he says. Quite frankly, I really agree with, with everything. He's actually not a... He's not a big reader and he doesn't mm-hmm. consume other people's content. That's like actually like one of the only things I don't agree with him with. <laughs> but he just doesn't have the time, probably. Yeah, that's that, that's true. Um, so for me, I never really was impatient. And I, I just think that if you're constantly learning, then your time is gonna come. You gotta just keep chipping away, chipping away. I don't look at other people because I just know like our company, all I care about every single day. Did we have a good day today? Did we move forward? Today, great day. Move forward.
Um, something that just popped into my mind, uh, speaking of books, uh, I, I used to read more, but now it's like time-wise, it's like harder to pick up a book and sit down and read for a while. But there's this book, like one of the only books I read in college uh, called The Paradox of Choice. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's uh, I think by a psychologist like named Barry Schwartz. One like part of that book that really stuck out, I still remember it, is he, he describes people like in like two different ways. Either you're a maximizer or a satisfizer. That's what he calls it. Satisfier? Mm-hmm. Satisfizer. Oh, wow. I know, yeah. I was like blown away when I read it. I'm not good at um, English with that. Yeah, that, that yeah, yeah. sound right, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, but what? yeah, uh, so he talks about like the people who are maximizers are the people who in every situation like want more, right? Like they're the ones that are like, continuously going after it. Like you said, mm-hmm. like in, when you were like working in your job, like you just wanted more, yeah. right? Um, and then they're the satisfizers who are like just content. They're content. Like when they're where they're at, they're happy. They're they're and if, if they're happy, then they're not really seeking out the next big thing. Like what's yeah, the next I don't, thing? I don't fuck with the satisfaction. Right, right. But what he talks about from a and this is like the reason I bring it up is because uh, mental health is such a big thing right now and like yeah. depression and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I think for founders especially, it's so important in the early stages, especially of your business, is like you're just so spread thin where you need to like really be intentional about it. He talks about how maximizers are the ones that are more prone to depression because mm-hmm. you're just never happy never I mean, not never happy but like never content with where you're at because you're always chasing the next big thing right so how, I don't, do you have any thoughts on that like, I have, how do you i have a lot of thoughts on that please yeah i think that there's different segments of the maximizer i think that though the there's the maximizers that are happy the ones i think i'm a maximizer is people that are embracing and enjoying the journey mm-hmm. and they're surrounding themselves with people that they care about. Right. Like I enjoy every single day. And like I said, I'm doing stuff with people I like. Like recently, we brought on my best friend to do our digital. His name is Will Dean. He's gonna be my best man at my wedding. Mm-hmm. He's in my fraternity. Mm-hmm. So now we got my best friend as part of, I talk to him every day. This shit's amazing. Yeah. So I think those people just, it's again, it kind of goes back to what Gary says. You know, he's not focused on, um, you know, EBITDA, how much money they're making. Uh, he's just embracing and enjoying the journey. Yeah. So I think when you embrace and enjoy the journey, it's just going to be a win-win for you. Those maximizers that are, that are depressed are just, I think they're chasing the wrong thing. I think they're Makes chasing, sense. when you say they keep chasing, yeah. maybe they're chasing. Like, they're trying to find the right thing, but it's like, you know, it's yeah, a you have to trial define, You have to yeah. define what you want. And for me, I want to be doing, you know, what I'm doing with who I'm doing, what I'm doing. That, that's what I, how I have defined success, so. But Mark, just to play devil's advocate here, because you know I went to law school. Um, hey. and I, 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 I don't know how you did that, by the way. Too, I tried studying yeah, for that still too. To it's out. a fuckery. Um, <laughs> but you know, don't you think that you know th- the stuff that Gary says, such as you know, just kind of enjoy the process, enjoy the journey. Don't you think that it's easier for somebody like him to say those things, having reached a point of success? Because I think that a lot of people can that might be listening are thinking, you know, it's easy for somebody that's that successful to say, enjoy the process because they've seen the results. Mm-hmm. But while you're going through that process, it sucks. Like it's not fun. Right. So, you know, I agree with Gary personally, mm-hmm. but how can we, I guess, again, change our mindset or change what we're doing or view it in a different way where we think, okay, it's fine. You know, just, just, it'll, it'll be okay. Two things. One, I think you need to find something you're passionate about. Because if you're passionate about it, then you can just, you know, we're going to work after you guys leave. I don't know what time it is, 9 o'clock, 9.30. doesn't matter. Whatever it is. And then you need to be passionate about it. And then I think the big thing is, this is another thing that we just spoke about, is I think people sometimes set their goals too big. I'm not saying don't set big Mm -hmm. goals, but they set these huge goals and then they don't, they're not happy until they achieve it. We don't, we have our macro goals, but we have micro goals too. So we celebrate the small wins. So if you're an entrepreneur, identify a small win. You know, your first, you know, if you're profitable, that's a fucking W. You know, if you sign a deal, that's a W. So I think, I think that, you know, to enjoy the process, just start getting excited over, you know, small wins because the small wins keep adding up and then you get the big one. Right. I love that. Makes sense. All right, so kind of going back to when you and your partner Jeff uh, yeah. connected, like how did that? How, you said you said it was through a girl, mutual friend that you knew. Um, but what inspired you guys to like work together um, and partner together? In the beginning, ironically enough, Jeff wasn't that good, which he could argue with me all he wants. Yeah. He wasn't that good, 
and I didn't know right away um, what he had. To be honest with you. By the way, but, Jeff's like here in the background. He definitely disagrees yeah. with you. Yeah. yeah. He no. He he wasn't <laughs> shaking his head. He wasn't that good. Bam, <laughs> done I love how you guys are honest. That's that's awesome. Oh, it's complete. Yeah. It's like the honest point. company yeah. part two. Yeah. yeah. So the more profitable one. He wasn't that good in the beginning, um, but the thing that Jeff has better than anybody else is he has a psychotic work ethic. Yeah. So then I start before I saw the talent, I saw the psychotic work ethic, and from a creative standpoint. It's very difficult to find creatives, uh, especially from like a design standpoint, that have work ethic. So he checked that off. I'm a who then what guy. I want to know about who your character, your work ethic. So I saw that. And then he started just learning more and doing things because he was put into all these different roles. And then it just became supremely evident, I would say probably four years ago to me, that he was just much more talented than everybody. So at that point, he worked harder than anybody. His, his final product and his talent was better than anybody. And then lastly, he works faster than anybody, which it's created a terrible situation because we cannot hire a junior designer and I can't yeah. clone him. Yeah. But um, we just always had very good communication and what I suck at, he's good at. What he's good at, you know, it, I suck at, I don't know what I said there, but it's just yeah. we help each other out with everything and... I think the other thing that can't be, you know, go unsaid is there's been an unwavering trust since the beginning as well. Yeah. We've gotten along. He's like my brother. We bicker about little bullshit, but he Absolutely. trusts me and I trust him. And I think that is, you know, having complementary skill sets, trusting each other. And then I think another real important thing is I work hard and he works hard. There's nothing worse than having a partnership where one guy works harder than the other. Yeah. That's the fucking worst. I've been in that spot before. And then it's like you're working and you look at the other guy and you're like, fuck this guy. So, um, yeah, he just, Jeff just kind of like matured into becoming a beast. And now he's just, I take, I take him against anyone. Yeah. He's in the room. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, I don't, like, good time I, don't to, like, I don't like gassing him too much. But yeah, he's, good time <laughs> to plug it in, though. If you're not following Jeff yeah. on Instagram, it's just at Cole, C O L E. Yeah, at Cole, C O L E. Unbelievable. Check it out. And he is a, he is a quiet, humble boy. Yeah. So, I'll say it. He's the goat. <laughs> He's the goat. So when did you guys decide that Iconic was going to become a thing? It kind of manifested into itself. So it was side hustle for 2016. Um, and then 2017, um, we started doing ads uh, end of February, March. Like and Facebook ads? Facebook and Instagram ads. And imagine, so me and Jeff live live here, okay? So it was me, Jeff, and another guy, okay? So this guy... We were doing this, and we were hustling in the morning, 5, 6, 7, 8 a.m. He would come in, and then we'd work on the other thing. And then he'd leave at 5 or 6, and then we'd work all night. So we were making, and this is real money. This isn't you know brick-and-mortar retail money yeah. where you're on net terms, right. consignment. Like 5% payback. margins. Exactly. This is cha-ching on Shopify. The money is in the bank. It, yeah. it's, it's real money. Just so, add to website, to add to cart, to check out. To, e-commerce is, I'm beautiful. so excited that we're You can it. figure it out. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, so we were part-time for a long time. And, you know, I would say Jeff is a little bit more conservative than I am. Uh, I just want to say fuck it like right away and go. But, you know, it was literally a conversation that we had every single night. Like, are we going to make the move? Are we going to make the move? And then I'd say probably four or five months in, we made the move. We had our year anniversary of working full time, like, I don't know, like a month ago. And we made the move. And this office of the other company became our office. We still live here. And then we just went, we just became, that was the most uh, liberating day of my whole entire life. Because then it's, hey, yeah, it's it's time now. So was it at all scary? No. Um, that's the whole entire thing that people ask me. We were just on um, a podcast and they asked, like, are you afraid of anything? And my answer is fuck no. Because if we lose, it's my fucking fault. Jeff's fault too. Um, but I'm doing the business though. So it's my fucking fault. So yeah. put me in a situation where, you know, it's on me. I'm not scared of anything. I'm just going to work more. I'm going to get smarter. I'm going to hire better people. You're just people. scared of not working hard enough. I just think that... But if you know yourself, you just... Ironically enough, it's, it's, it's Alex. It's the third door. Yeah. Always find a way. Yeah. You know, like there's always finding a way. If I don't know someone, I'm, I'm very self-aware. Uh, as confident as I am, I actually have no ego. Mm. It's, if I don't know it, I'm going to find someone else that knows it. If 
someone can do parts of what I do better than me. I want, I want them better. on my team. Yeah, yeah you don't I want to do that. You can just I just want to fucking win. Yeah, for sure. I just want to win. I love it. Um, so uh, I guess you guys were already in LA, so I was going to ask like why you guys started the company, but I'm assuming it was just like easier to just start it here as opposed to going else, elsewhere. But like, was there something about L- the LA market? I know you were selling online, but something yeah. just about LA that you just knew that here, this was the place to start it? Well, something that goes unnoticed that me and Jeff never say is we were stuck in a lease. That's first off. Okay. <laughs> so we were, uh, so we were stuck in a, we were yeah. stuck in a lease. And you, then, can, you, can, you can break the lease. Yeah, we can break yeah. the lease. Again, we can go to, go to the third door again yeah. there. But, um, Sub-lease. So we were here, um, but I think, you know, I'm a New York guy. I'm from New York. You know, I've traveled to a lot of places. I think California is the mecca of creatives and influencers. Mm-hmm. And I think our company was on the forefront of you know, not, not only high quality creative, but, you know, high output. And then we work with tons and tons of influencers. Like we literally have, I'd say, four to five influencers come through here a week, mm-hmm. you know, give them art, take some pictures, do some biz dev. So I don't think that Johnny in Alabama can do what we're doing. I don't think that. Yeah. So that's why we're here. Not the same sort of talent. That's it too. Another thing too is, is talent pool. So, I mean, our team, like we we're, we're hiring now and I put out something on Craigslist. Yeah. Insane. Have yeah. you ever used I mean, Craigslist just, before? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It was it's actually suffocating. Funny. I was actually at a meeting with somebody yesterday at lunch and she said that she met her business partner on Netflix because her husband put an Netflix? ad on ne- uh, Netflix, sorry, uh, on oh. Craigslist. Hey. Uh, you're welcome, Netflix, no, you for that know, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't, don't jack it, fuckers. Um, fuck, now, now I'm like, we should do like a Netflix community. Um, no, but yeah, she met her business partner on Craigslist and they're making so much money now together. So yeah. Um, what? Why did you guys decide Canvas Art? So Jeff had printed uh, some of his designs on canvases uh, all throughout college. And sorry to cut you off, but Jeff is a digital designer. Like Jeff that was is his a di- like forte. This is, so I guess like, I should call him Cole. So Cole is a yeah, digital designer. And he had used this vendor to, to, you know, to print his art. And you know, at his college, at the frat house, they had his art in, in the dorm rooms. So he had always done that. And then I manage um, a painter. His name is Timmy Sneaks. And throughout my years of eating shit, I had managed him. And his paintings, you know, are fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. Huge celebrity. Yeah, his name sounds very familiar. You've probably seen him yeah. on Instagram. Uh, what I noticed with him is, you know, ninety-five percent of the inquiries were people that couldn't afford the art. So I dropped a price point uh, print, made a lot of money, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, there's a huge hole in the market." So at that point, I was working with Jeff. You know, he had printed his canvases. Here's a guy sitting next to me. I had known his talent, and then. We just started fucking around and yeah. they just started coming in and then we started, you know, we moved to Shopify and we started doing the ads and then boom, it went. Well, did you see anything in the, in the, I guess, the art market that like caught your attention? Like, you know, this is missing. Was it just affordable um, art or was it, was there more to it? Um, well, the affordable was, was a given, but I think the other thing is, you know, I'm sure you guys know, you know, one of the most important things in business is authenticity yeah. and you know, given what I told you about Jeff and I, you guys are probably getting the gist with me, you know, we're hard workers, motivation guys. We buy into, you know, this stuff. We, we consume this content. So you had Jeff sitting, you know, we're, we're here listening to Gary Vee, yeah. you know, watching the Facebook movie, you know, watching this content. So it just was a natural extension where, you know, Jeff was just, you know, you know, meshing yeah. pop culture yeah. with then just shit that means it's like the purest consuming. form of inspiration to like work ratio like you just like you know like yeah. you're just consumed and immediately you just like can put together like a art that's why like on that. you guys mentioned like uh, i think you said skill or luck yeah there was not there was no, there was no luck in this this was this is what the shit that we were consuming so it's just it's right there and then you have an artist and then literally you go in jeff's room and it's just all canvases of like michael jordan so it's like you put two and two together and like Shit happens. So yeah. that's how it happened. Do you remember the first person that bought one of the art pieces? We actually, you guys got to check the video. Everyone's got to go on oh. Instagram. It's probably about 20 posts ago okay. where but I. We, call, we surfaced it somehow. Yeah, yeah. We, um, I called the first 50 customers. I called them and I was just like, thank you for changing my life. <laughs> uh, I don't remember who the first one is, but uh, yeah. it, it's fun. It's really fun to call customers. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember who the first one is. 
I would say of the first 20, there were probably like 15 of them were Jeff's friends. <laughs> to <laughs> be you, honest. Did you ever ask friend. them why they bought it? Like what their motivation was? Um, saw it, thought it was cool, thought it, thought it was motivational, thought it was inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the other thing too is, you know, the motivation is the motivation, but aesthetically, it's got to look good. We have Jeff. Yeah. So it looked cool too. Totally. Um, so I know it like, I mean, you said like from the beginning, like you guys have just been crushing it, but like we always like to kind of highlight like the, any challenges founders face. So yeah. I guess thinking of like the early days, which was like literally like a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so right now. Yeah, it should be like fresh in your mind. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the early, early challenges you faced? Tons of challenges. Um, I just, for me, it's micro losses are fine with me. So again, there's plenty, plenty of failures within the the six quarter it's what you consider a failure exactly um for me we are in a space e-commerce in general is a very um i don't know the right word uh, slimy aggressive space where you know more people came into the space some people yeah some people People thought they were competing for shelf space in a physical retail store but they they don't know any you know it's just it's really it's it's tough when you know you're coming up with i mean even designs but you know concepts and then just other people are literally just following. Like mm-hmm. we we started posting models, they start posting models. We're starting doing mm-hmm. you know captions like this. They're doing captions like that. That um, for us was a little hard in the beginning, but I got emotionless pretty quick, and Jeff has turned pretty emotionless as well. So I would just think um, you know it's it's frustrating when people are just stealing your shit, especially when it's like. Have you working people steal like your designs too? Yeah, people have stolen our stuff. We don't mm-hmm. we don't need to talk about it, but that yeah, yeah. um just understanding how to play the e-commerce game, I think was for us the biggest challenge. Uh and then, you know, scaling a company. You know, straight yeah. up, you know, it's I, the most amount of humans I had ever managed was I managed uh when I was social chair of my fratern- fraternity a bunch of <laughs> wild hooligans. Um I mean, hey, that's a tough task. It was. Making sure they don't go to jail and making sure they won't die. I mean, you're like that's pretty <laughs> yeah. it's pretty tough. Keeping people yeah. alive. Shout out Sigma Alpha Mu, University yeah. of Delaware, by the way. It's, it's love Sammy, right? Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean a lot of just like little little failures here and there and just understanding and learning that um People just don't give a shit out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to lie. The way I discovered you guys was an Instagram ad. Uh, it was an Instagram story ad. Hey. And it was that success one. And I was like, damn, what is this? And I remember screenshotting it. And I was like, damn, that's pretty cool. You like, might have shared it with me too. Yeah, I probably. We're like big on like sending each other stories and like posts mm-hmm. like all day. It's just like I'll wake up. And Pat's like a significantly later sleeper than I am. So like 4 a.m. I'll have like 35 DMs of just like everything. <laughs> At like 8 a.m. I'll send him a bunch of DMs yeah, of like other stuff. So we're like always consuming, you know, this type of content. So that's when I discovered that thing. But I didn't know it was iconic. I didn't know yeah. what it was. I didn't know who was behind it. And then we, when we really kind of discovered it was more recently when we saw that Scooter Braun and Gary Vee, uh, or, or should I say maybe SB Projects, which is you know, yeah. run by Scooter Braun, um, came on board, you know, and invested in Iconic. So tell us that story of, you know, how that happened. I know I watched the video about yeah. the whole kind of getting Gary V, uh, you know, met his brother, I think you said, or you knew his brother's friend, yeah. something like that. Um, so c- kind of run us through that story. Again, it's the third door twice. Shout out Alex B again. Yeah. Um, it was literally, so I'll go through each one. So Gary, uh, Gary's team, uh, the Vayner sports team, which is his sports agency mm-hmm. arm, reached out to Jeff to do their logo. Uh, Jeff occasionally does outside contracted work when it makes sense strategically from a time standpoint, you know, compensation, et cetera. So he did it. They asked how much. We said nothing. Just Gary V 101, give value first. Clearly, I knew in the back of my head that I was going to ask for something. Give, 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 get. Yeah, later in the game, I was going to ask for something. And literally, it had been like four or five months. We started doing good. And I remember actually vividly Jeff sitting next to me. He was just like... When are we, when are we gonna like hit Gary? Yeah. So I was like, eh, fuck it, I'm gonna hit him now. So I emailed Justin Giagrande, the guy from Vayner Sports, and I was like, Justin, you know, we're Gary Disciples, you know, here's the last five, six months of revenue. You know, we'd love to, you know, to talk to Gary about getting involved. Five minutes later, Justin screenshots me a conversation with Gary. We get a 15-minute meeting from 5:30 to 5:45 at Beverly Hills Hotel. That he, like he was physical. in LA. Yeah, he was in LA. Yeah, yeah. This was, this was nice. right after. And yeah. that turned into way longer. 
and just, you know, right away, it's an entrepreneur seeing another entrepreneur and it's just, he saw the infectious energy and he's like, I want you guys to come to New York, came to New York a week later. We stayed in a, a music studio with him. He was recording a music studio till like one thirty or two in the morning. And we were just like, we want to work together. So then we, we cut a deal with him. And then with Scooter, uh, a guy named Michael George, who ironically enough was the best friend of one of my pledges in my fraternity, Sammy, I had met years ago. And he, um, when he moved to California, he kind of got in the same situation as me back in the day where he had plans that got derailed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And three years ago, I'd helped, you know, helped him around town, set up on meetings, was a nice guy, a friend of a friend. So we'd always stayed in touch. And then I actually had gone to him to try and get involved with all of the companies I'd worked for. And at that time, it was two companies. And he's like, no, no, no. And then he's like, oh, what's this art thing? Showed him it. And he's like, oh, Scooter would, Scooter would love this. So then some, I don't know, a month or two went by. He got us a meeting with Scooter. Same thing, Gary. Pull up to the meeting. It's, you know, just similar. He just saw us and him. And literally, uh, Scooter and Gary are just such straight shooters that mm-hmm. right away, Scooter's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. So, um, yeah. We're, and then when Scooter found out we were talking to Gary and Gary found out we were talking to Scooter, these are two guys that had known each other for a long time. They've never worked together, right? And they had never worked together. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it was a good situation. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool. It was a good situation. Um, yeah. And then literally, you know, we obviously had to do negotiations with both of them. Everything was going on at once. And actually the contract, it was it was like all, it all happened at once. Mm-hmm. And then we just worked on the go-to market strategy from a press standpoint. And now, I don't know, I don't know how long it's been. I think it's been like a month or something. And it's been, it's been amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And so they're far. like involved, involved? Yeah, they're involved, involved. Um you know, just from strategic introductions, that in itself um, yeah, it, it, it is huge. Um, them and them endorsing us because I know Gar- like Gary's invested in obviously like the Twitters and all these big yeah. tech companies. Same with Scooter, Scooter as well. Like uh, you know, they they have less involvement obviously, but like, yeah. is this more of like, do you think like, I mean, I don't know how many other small yeah. or up and coming like startups mm-hmm. they're invested in, but do you think it's kind of like their baby in a way now? I think that it's something that it's mutually aligned with their interests. They're not investing in, you know, a bed company. Like this is something that, you know, we are an art company that speaks to the culture yeah. and we are very active on social media, which is the biggest distribution channel in the whole entire world. Yeah. And then we're, you know, we get along with them. Yeah, they like we, you. Yeah, we, 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 and we provide value to them too. Right. You know, I don't ask them for one thing Unless there is value given first, it makes sense. I keep communication efficient. We're realistic with what it is. I know how busy I am. Yeah. Gary and Scooter, they're from another fucking planet. Yeah. When we did Gary's podcast at nine o'clock on a Friday, he had three fucking meetings after us. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I don't even want to like, I, yeah. It's Whenever motivating. I think about how, what his schedule looks like every day, I can't, I don't know how he does it. It's, it's really, it's really motivating. Like, yeah. I know that there's, I have, there's levels. Yeah. And I'm, they, Gary is inspiring the fuck out of me. Yeah. I want to just keep going more and, and I, more. And I think that the one thing that, you know, we recognized early on when we started this podcast, I think one thing, you know, obviously Gary recognizes one thing Scooter, re- Scooter recognizes. And I think Scooter is like one of those people that's an incredible interviewee. Like every interview of his that I've watched, like whether it was like Complex Blueprint or the, I think it was the one with Charlie Rose. Love the Complex Blueprint one. The Com- Complex Blueprint one is unreal. The one with Bill Simmons on that podcast, he yep. was unbelievable. I mean, his story is just amazing. Yeah. So, like, which, which comes to my next point. Like, I think that the reason they liked you and what you guys are doing was that storytelling aspect. It's the same yeah. reason why kind of we wanted to start this was not just to meet new people was we were just really curious about the stories i think same reason alex wrote the book you know it's there's something about storytelling in the modern times that you know whether it's audio whether it's video that is just much more captivating to this generation you know books are still going to exist but you know now you have things like audible and audiobooks mm-hmm. uh, i think things like voice and video or audio and video are going to be big and that's going to be the way we tell stories and this is just the beginning and now like through 
art. You know, I think it, that's another way that you guys are telling the story. And 100%. I mean, who knows, you know, I mean, obviously you guys know what's coming up next, but I think that visual aspect is going to change as well because our attention span as, you know, millennials or the new up and coming, whatever generation, what are they called? Y or X, whatever they Z, are. Z, yeah, Gen Z. Um, that's how that's how millennial I am. I don't even know the next generation. <laughs> um, you know, the, the way they're consuming stories is completely different than, you know, the previous generations. There was newspapers, you know, television. Like, I don't even watch television. Books, books are still around. But the way we consume it is changing. So how are you guys, you know, on top of that? Consumption. Um, we're just... Like going back to, to the learning thing, we're just mm-hmm. constantly staying on top of everything and kind of going back to what you said, it's an open mind. Yeah. Like everyone asks, you know, like where, you know, where is this going to be in like five years? I have a new answer. Wherever the fucking market is in five years. Yeah. The only thing that I can tell you where we're going to be in five years is we're going to be authentic to myself, Jeff, and my team. And we're going to be the motivation, the inspiration, all that stuff, the core identity of the brand will remain the same. But I don't even, we might not be selling art. No. I can't even tell you we're going to be selling art because that, you know, who would have thought, you know, 10 years ago that like, you know, brick and mortar would be dead. Like brick and mortar is declining heavy. Yeah. I mean, it's like dead. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, every company is like, hey, you know, we did 80% of brick and mortar, 20% in e-commerce. And every year there's a, yeah. you know, it's going up 5%, 5%, 10%. 10%. 10 years ago, this needed to be, you know, our goal would be, hey, let's get all doors, you know, Urban Outfitters, Zoomies, right. PacSun, you know, uh, Ikea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, not interested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not interested. So, yeah, that's my new answer. I just came up with I guess to piggyback off of that, because like comparing like what art is now, like it's the way you guys are defining it with your with your business and then what art has been for like millions of years, thousands of years, whatever, um, has been like, you know, you have the artists and they're just doing their thing. And uh, I mean, I don't know too much about the way they got people to find out about their art, but yeah. like it's just like history, through history, like the value went up and people started buying it or whatever. Um, how do you like? How do you gauge what people like from a design perspective in this e-commerce like space? Does that make sense? Like, yeah. what do you do? Like, do you, are you like looking at each individual piece and saying like, what are the sales for this one? What are the sales? Let's do more of this. Let's do more of that. Like, how do you how do you do that? Uh, I'd say it's like a couple prong process. A, it's what Jeff and I consume. So Jeff, you know, obviously leads that department. He's got full autonomy over that. I basically have no say. If I see something cool, I'll send it to him and he'll probably say fuck off, but it's, it's, it's on him. Yeah. Um, and that's, luckily we have Jeff who also is consuming. Jeff is a hoarder of consuming. He's consuming all day. I think I see it, you comment on every single post on Instagram. It's insane. Like I, I will see just- He knows what he's doing on Instagram. Yeah, it's crazy. Follow him, at call, yeah. he's good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so there's that, so Jeff does that. Yeah. Uh, and then I think with this company, it is the first company where I've become much more aware of things like KPIs, key performance indicators. You know, for this company, I didn't know what ROAS was on Facebook, return on ad spend. So, are we following the numbers? Of course. If we see this does well in one piece, then you know we'll try it for another piece. So, Jeff leads the way, consuming a lot of content, following culture. Uh, yeah. We follow the numbers. And then um, the guy that heads our digital, Will Dean, you know, you know my buddy, yeah. he has, you know, I'm blessed to have him in my life because he has taught me, just like Gary has taught me that there's, a, there's, there's levels of, of work, yeah. work ethic. Will has taught me that there's different levels of how granular you can get with data. Like when our company gets to a point where we understand why something works and why it doesn't, that's when we're going to fuck shit up bad. Like we're fucking shit up now, but when we really understand, you know, why something sells or doesn't, that's when, yeah. that's when you, you go. just need to, yeah, you haven't been in business for even two years. Yeah. So like you need we to have some data. data, but I mean, yeah. our average lifetime value customer, I mean, it's 15 months. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't have that yeah, yet, yeah. but um, yeah, following the numbers is a big thing as well. You need to know your numbers. Do you do anything outside of work? Uh, I definitely have a problem for sure. Um, <laughs> I wasn't asking in like a negative way. No, it's it's funny you say that because my parents have actually laid off on like the work life balance thing. Uh-huh. The work life balance thing is, and this is just my opinion, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's fake news. 
No, it's fucking bullshit because <laughs> this is my hobby. Right. This is what I enjoy doing. I am doing what makes me happy. And if it's working all the time, then fuck off. That is my balance in life. Right. Um, You're actually going to like this. I posted this on my Instagram story this morning because I saw Adam Grant who wrote the originals, yeah. um, which is an amazing book. Are we allowed to curse on here too, by the way? Yeah, dude. I mean, okay. or, I mean, the, or, or else the entire fucking <laughs> podcast is going to be fucking bleeped out. Um, so we're fucked. Anyways, so Adam Grant tweeted, work-life balance sets an unrealistic expectation of keeping different roles in steady equilibrium. Instead, strive for work-life rhythm. Each week has a repeated, repeating pattern of beats. Job, family, friends, health, hobbies that vary in accent and duration. Screenshot that and send that to me. I fucking love it. Yeah. It was amazing. So I go on, it's, it's hysterical. I go on, you know, vacations. I'm out on vacation. Right. What we is were it? Discussion I just went to Turks and Caicos. We were working the whole time. We're creating <laughs> yeah. content. I'm reading books and we're studying. Like, yeah. it's, it's, we had a, we that's had the ultimate high in life if there's, yeah. there's, if it's all blended. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you know who Dr. Drew is. He's like, he yeah. the whole he was, just on your, uh, he was on the podcast and he's like a workaholic too. And he was, he said something where, you know, he travels a lot, but he, he, he likes traveling with purpose. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? Just like sit my ties on the beach. Like, sure, you can do that for like a day or two, but like, or like you, an you know, hour. Yeah. Or like an hour. Um, but, uh, you know, that's you know that's kind of the way he does it as like a as a workaholic but um one thing i wanted to kind of go back to was like you mentioned that you guys just kind of when you launched the business you guys launched it essentially on facebook and instagram through yeah. advertising and in recent news you know facebook instagram's uh founders left the company mm-hmm. um and so it's going to be interesting to see how things pan out for instagram and a facebook like facebook's instagram which is mm-hmm. it's going to suck um, but kind of the fact that you guys are so heavy on it now, um, like, and obviously the influencer marketing and all that yeah. stuff, like if that shift, if people go elsewhere, I know you can also do that too, but just the ecosystem that Instagram has built in terms yep. of content, which is essentially like aesthetically, like very much like you, what you guys are putting on canvas. Yeah. Um, how do you see that future panning out? Two things. A, that's why brand is so important. Because you know how many of these e-commerce companies, these consumer product companies, I don't consider brands that are living and dying on one channel. That channel folds, you're fucked. Yeah. We don't live and die on one channel. And we're testing new channels all the time. It's like, you know, we call it the Facebook crack pipe. Like so many companies are just, they're fiending on this crack mm-hmm. pipe. And we know like there's days when the ROAS is going down and then, you know, the agency's like, hey, you know, all the companies are, are down. You're relying on a market, a marketplace. Yeah. So we're just in other markets and that's, and it goes back to just being nimble, being open-minded, being able to pivot. I mean, there's a million different ways that we can go with this. Um, right now, Facebook is probably our biggest driver. Um, but I think everybody would agree it's becoming much more saturated. The market has changed drastically since we first came in, but we don't rely on one channel. So, yeah. Thanks. Mark, just to kind of wrap this up as a founder, what is one thing that, you want to improve on? What do I want to improve on? Uh, organization. Uh, the big thing from Gary is he, from 7 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, he doesn't have you know, five minutes to himself. It's all organized. And what I've found is if I have you know, meeting, 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 like, I'm not going like, to perform... <laughs> You know, I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna perform optimal at every single meeting. I just need to be there for the meeting. I just need a meeting, meeting, yeah. meeting. So I think it's not work life balance. It's just work balance. Yeah, it's just fucking figure, figure being out. organized. That um, I'm interesting. I'm interested to see how the company scales. I've never done it before, so that's gonna be a really interesting. You might have to listen to Masters of Skill. Yeah, uh, what's his name? Reed Hoffman. I I, I don't yeah. like it personally. Reed Hoffman is good. Reed Hoffman, yeah, yeah. but like, that's, yeah. that's podcast. this whole podcast is about scaling, yeah. and it's these big big like founders who are. I just on don't like it because I'm not at that point yet. So yeah, it's like it's not I'm as relatable, not like, but you know, yeah. probably for you it would be. I I have a a Reed Hoffman PowerPoint uh, PowerPoint presentation. It's like an eighty slide PowerPoint presentation <laughs> that you made for no, oh, oh. It's, from, it's from like five six years ago. Oh, okay, I have it printed out in my room actually. It's amazing. It's yeah. just yeah. about him. It's just about business. Oh okay, he is a ninja. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's he's, he's real good. Yeah. Anything so he finds himself. That would be probably a good podcast to listen to. Yeah. yeah. Hey man, this has been freaking awesome, man. It's it was I mean, you just could kind say of, fucking. 
<laughs> this has been fucking awesome. I'm what? trying to cut my cursing down. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. As yeah, much me as you too. can. Yeah, me too. But it's, it's, like uh, it's definitely fucked that up it. on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's been fucking great. Thanks for thanks so much for being on the show and kind of sharing your story. Really, I mean, we're super fucking excited to see where you guys take this, man. It's so early on, and the traction that you guys have gotten is like, I'm sure it's like you know overwhelming you too. So, um, you guys, you guys are crushing it. Keep crushing it, and uh, yeah, thanks so much, man. Great conversation. I look forward to seeing what you guys do as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's, it's impressive what you guys have. So thank you. Thank Cheers. you.